This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Now, we have been spending an awful lot of time together lately, Lorraine, haven't we? Putting on our show, doing this podcast. Um, It's almost like we're morphing into the same person, isn't it? Well, someone did ask us if we were married, and uh, I thought she meant you and I were married, not married. (laughs) The funniest thing was last week, we both got sent a, a parcel from a PR, which was very nice. Thank you very much. Mine was addressed to Trish Candy. Yes, and mine was... Lorraine Halpin. <laughs> We've sort of become oh, the other parts, know. haven't we? We have. We, it's a bit like Frankenstein's monster, I think. I Do didn't you... even look twice. It is a terrible <laughs> combination. I didn't look twice. I just I just saw the name Halpin and I thought, oh, that's for me. <laughs> Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Have you come down yet, Lorraine, from our postcards from Midlife Live? Hi. I mean, we've been positively giddy, haven't we, since hosting the event at the Business Design Centre in London? Well, we have actually. I'm still trying to process what it all means. So many, so many amazing women. I mean, what just happened? Did we really organise the biggest gathering of midlife women the UK has ever seen? I mean, did we really have more than 90 speakers hosting over 100 talks, workshops, panels and creative sessions? Was that us, Trish? Do you need me to pinch you? Because I'm very happy to do that, if you'd like. That's what friends are for, aren't they? Pinching. And it was like being with friends, actually, wasn't it? The most brilliant women there. Everyone was just so lovely. I had the loveliest time. The energy was in the place was so special. People kept saying, oh, it's so friendly. It feels so mm. lovely here, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And it was a relief because um, I have to say the night before, I did nearly um, get on the tube to Heathrow and just <laughs> fly out of here. You would have left me to it, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah That's not what gone. friends are for, can I say. Well, <laughs> thankfully... You didn't do that. But we were so nervous right up until really the day before. And then we went to the venue, didn't we, for a bit of a rehearsal. It was amazing. But uh, it did take this project has certainly taken us out of our comfort zone. And I think I said on the show a few weeks ago that it felt like we were being really brave because you asked Mm. me, what's a word to describe how I'm feeling about our careers at the moment? But being brave is quite scary, isn't it? And it yeah. means taking risks. Um, it felt a bit like, you know, when you organise a really big party and you worry that no one's going to come and that if they do come, they're not going to have a very nice time. 
Well, yeah, that we would just be sat in a room on our own. Yes. Massive cavernous auditorium on our own, talking to each other. But they did come, didn't they, Trish? They came in their droves. It was kind of amazing. Um, And I'm not just saying that. We do actually have proof that people came and enjoyed it. Um, We have been collecting some really lovely messages. I like this one, which was on our private Facebook group. The live event this weekend was honestly the best event I think I've ever been to. Over the years, I've been to so many events and exhibitions, largely in my old world of air traffic control, where everything was blue and grey and very, very male. Postcards from Midlife was a glorious celebration of everything that it means to be a midlife woman. I made friends, attended brilliant talks, but more than anything, I felt seen and understood. And I'm beyond glad to have discovered this community. That was the main message we were getting Mm, um, from people, that this was a community they felt hadn't existed before and that, you know, we all feel a bit invisible in midlife. And actually, suddenly, there were our people everywhere. Yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And sharing everything, really sharing. I mean, there were people making plans to meet up on the Facebook group who never met each other before, who lived in totally different parts of the country, who were sat having glasses of Prosecco in that lovely cafe. And I just thought, God, I'm so proud to have brought those women together. I mean, it feels like a really lovely thing to have done. It's the whole purpose of why we set up the podcast. Yes, it certainly is. And somebody else described it as the, the Facebook group coming to life, which I thought mm. was really good. But uh, Susan and Rachel from New Zealand posted yes. on the group that they were loving seeing all the posts about the show uh, and that they had serious FOMO because they weren't able to come. Well, all I can say is maybe you weren't trying hard enough, Susan and Rachel, because people came from all over. Marion is out. Marion's arrived. (laughs) Marion's out already. But we did have, we had midlifers from all over the country and Europe traveling here. Um, We have to give a very special mention to Elizabeth from Norway, who flew over especially to attend both days. I mean, it was so brilliant meeting her. What a lovely, lovely woman. She was also very tall, wasn't she? She was very tall. We were very short. She was very tall. And after the first day, she posted on the group this this lovely message. She said um, she was having the best time ever. The live event has been absolutely amazing. And I'm so incredibly happy that I decided to travel to the UK for this. Thank you, Trish and Lorraine, for all the hard work you've put in to make sure that this event passes all expectations. It's been such a joy to be part of the wonderful community you've built. And I've met so many warm, inspiring, wonderful women here. This has been the best day I've had in a very long time. And I'm going to cherish the memories forever. Is that a a little tear I see in your eye there, Lorraine? Are you welling up? No. (laughs) Never. (laughs) You'd have to poke me with something sharp. What I also learned from Elizabeth is she went for dinner on her own and she said it was, uh, she hadn't been for dinner on her own before oh. and she loved it. So it was quite, it was really, she was in that out of her comfort she zone. Was being brave. Yeah, Wasn't she was she? being brave. brave. It was brave. very exciting seeing all of our uh, Facebook members meeting in real life. What about Helen and Leanne, oh. who we got chatting to? Goodness me, we were wandering around, weren't we, looking Seeing if we could get some pampering in between yes. everything else. Didn't have any much time. Pummeled by no. Face Jim or <laughs> made up by Estee Lauder. Um, and then these two amazing women came up to us. What was a reminder of how short we are, actually, Trish, yes. isn't it? Because literally everybody is a foot taller than us. Oh, I don't know. It's quite a lot of shorties, I felt. <laughs> you were looking at the tall ones. Yeah. But, but so Helen and Leanne were, were tall. Yes. Helen and Leanne. And they had uh, they were firefighters. They had come from Staffordshire Fire and Rescue Service. They were avid listeners to the podcast and their bosses had paid for them to come to the show because they'd set up the menopause group after Mm -hmm. listening to postcards from midlife, which I think is just amazing. So they were going to 
go to all the talks, which they did, they were in everything, and take back everything they learned, get all the information. That's what we need, spreading the words and passing it on into the uh, men in our community. Yes, exactly. It's really kind of forward thinking, I would yeah. say, isn't it, of yeah. um, businesses and employers to do that. So big up to the Staffordshire Fire and Rescue Service. And the message is getting out there. Um, there was a bit less thinking going on in some areas, though, of course, because we had some live brain fog bloopers in action. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking brain fog news. happening in front of us. Yeah. So Tony posted on the group to say, thank you to whoever handed in my phone after I put it on the seat next to me. <laughs> Could have been glowing. any of us, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. I put it on the seat next to me at the How to Get Glowing Skin Talk with Dr. Sophie Schotter and Alice Hart Davis. I looked at my phone on the seat and thought, I bet I leave it here, and then promptly did just that. That's why there were lots of um, stands I noticed uh, selling the glasses oh, yeah. chains. Yes. Because, glasses I mean, on. I've handed yours to you about four times. Oh, crikey. I've yes. left mine in the green room. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the women putting the glasses down, it was quite funny, as not it? It was like in a group brain fog. Yes. Thank you very much for that, Tony. Uh, Mary had the best brain fog moment, though. It really made me laugh. She posted this. Um, she was on the train from Devon to London. And she said, having gone to sleep fully dosed up with progesterone and magnesium, our best friends, I woke in the night needing a loo. I stumbled into the bathroom, pulled down the cute, slightly too tight boxer type pyjama shorts I was wearing, sat down and in my dazed state completely forgot I was wearing knickers too. The nuns taught me well, <laughs> she said in brackets. Yeah. <laughs> to think. And I proceeded to sit there and pee right through them. <laughs> now that the pants wetting is out of the way for today, things can only get better, she said as she was on the train. <laughs> also, P.S., I forgot to bring my magnifying mirror to do my makeup. So if you see me and my eyebrows are doing something weird, please let me know. <laughs> I mean, the midlife oh, eyebrows. I blame look, us for that, the eyebrows, because yeah. of all those things we did in magazines saying, pluck them, pluck them. Oh, I know, exactly. But Mary, you looked brilliant because we she met did. you and then we saw you on Facebook. You looked really good. She's tall, Mary. Mary's yeah, tall. tall. Yeah, tall. Yeah. But, yeah. but there's no such thing as oversharing. No. That was oversharing. There's no such thing as oversharing in this community. Um, Lovely husband, James Lorraine, he had to, he came along to support you, unlike my husband, Neil, who escaped to <laughs> Dublin for a rugby weekend. Well, he had a little uh, little incident, didn't he? Well, he, he didn't there. pee through his pants. No, he didn't. It's no. <laughs> a relief. He's better now. We've trained him out of that. No, he did have a little incident. I mean, there was a lot of oversharing, Trish. I think we'll have to share in another episode, yes. won't we? And your, your lovely daughter came and she uh, she witnessed a lot of oversharing. I, I, I felt for her. I really felt for her teenager. Anyway, lovely James was pottering around. He'd been to the HRT talk with Dr. Louise Newson, yes. um, who we call the, the woman that saved mum in the house here. And he's in the queue, in the little queue. And this lady, amazingly dressed, very glamorous lady, came up to him and said, oh, my goodness. You're one of the husbands, aren't you? You're Lorraine's husband, aren't you? And he said, yes, I, I am, actually. And she said, it's so nice to meet you, Neil. <laughs> That's your husband. They're not my husband. They're into each other as well. There's a theme here, <laughs> isn't there? It was really very funny. There will be no swapping of husbands, because as no. we've worked out, though, Trish... I've basically married you and you've basically married me, yes. haven't you? Yeah, exactly. So if Neil and I were let loose oh, on any disaster, kind of, you'd have to send in the emergency services, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, I think James and Neil would do quite well together. They'd they'd make yes. it work. But things yeah. did get a little bit frisky, didn't they? Because we had a fabulous sex educator, we do. Ramsey, mm-hmm. who's a group expert on the Facebook group. And she was giving some talks and workshops about revving up your sex life. 
fully booked, very well attended, those talks and workshops. Yes. But um, it obviously did the trick because um, one lady even found me afterwards to say how much she loved the show. She loved Ruth's advice. And having just come out of a very long-time relationship, she wanted to have some fun before maybe embarking on another relationship. And she fancied the idea of booking an escort, sort of Emma Thompson in yes. Good Luck to You, Leo Grant. <laughs> but she didn't know how to go about it. Well... Dear lady, if you are listening to this episode, um, sorry, I didn't catch your name, but that's probably a good thing. Um, I've had a word with Ruth and she says she can point you in the right direction. So you can DM us on the group or email us at hello at postcards from midlife and um, we'll get you sorted. I think we're going to be inundated now with wow. <laughs> people for- pretending to be that woman. I'm a former editor of Cosmopolitan. Yes. I've been to the sex emergencies. I've been there for women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we do see so see what we did there. We are like the, the fifth emergency, third yes. emergency service, aren't we? Do, we are here to serve. Look at little Trish. She's having a glass of water now. She can't quite. Blushing, blushing. Lady asked me how I could have more sex. Don't know why she didn't ask me, Trish. Mm. <laughs> so, yes, we are here to make life better. Can I just make another point about everyone at the show? Mm. Uh, you little pink, my pink-faced friend. So much pink. Women incredibly stylish. All wearing the trend of the moment, which is this pale, not this vibrant, bright pink, this lovely pale pink. Even you were wearing pink. It was like we'd kind of subconsciously connected via fashion telepathy. Yes. <laughs> Got yes. everyone to look really stylish and wear pink as well. Yeah, we sent out we sent out a, a sort of subliminal dress code alert, I think. But yeah, no, um, I don't think I've ever worn pink, probably since I was no. about four gazillion years ago. But I um Oh, a lovely pink trouser suit when we were in me and M, didn't I, for the show. Got quite a few compliments, which was rather nice. But having said that, there was a lot of bright greens, green and pink together. Very yep. nice combo. And lots like of bright it. blues. I mean, you're right. Everyone looks so great. Now, you were very brave, took a risk because yeah. you wore on the Saturday, you wore a really beautiful white trouser suit. I mean, I felt that that was a disaster waiting to happen, especially when you arrived with a big coffee in your hand. One of my 78 coffees a day that I like to have. Mm. Um, that was from The Fold. Yes, it was brave, Trish, but I felt mm. it was a nod to, a nostalgic nod to the 70s. You know, I oh, like to okay. look back. Um, yeah. I didn't actually spill anything on it because people kept taking things away from me. <laughs> I was holding them. <laughs> and I took my biro out of my hand. Probably a good job. That was Dr. Newson. Yes. She knew what was going to happen. Anyway, there was so much fashion there as well. I was really pleased to see all the lovely brands because um, we could have changed for every talk, couldn't we? we yeah, you, yeah. Downstairs it wouldn't have mattered if you'd spilt something. You just popped, no, popped into the shopping exactly. village. We had uh, nearby, we had Alboret, Cape Cove, Taylor Bell. It was really great, actually, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yes. I mean, I wish I'd had more time to be pampered, but we were we were a little bit busy. We were, well, we were preoccupied with some fabulous... Fabulous people. It was name dropping central for me, Trish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, my God. <laughs> Loved it. All our, uh, all my celebrity friends, all in Your one room. Your celebrity friends, yes, yes. <laughs> Your celebrity friends, yes. We, we had lots of experts as well. We had, so I mean, I'm just going to drop a few here for Go you on. now. Uh, Ruby Wax, Patsy Kensit, Andy Oliver, who was so entertaining. Mm-hmm. Anna Richardson told quite an extraordinary story, mm-hmm. which we will save. For later, yes. I'm just saying mm. labia, involves labia is all I'm saying. Just putting it out there. I know you can handle it. We can share everything on this uh, podcast. Julia Samuel came, the therapist, Professor Tim Spector, Dr. Louise Newson, 
lovely Dr. Rupi as well. He gave us some uh, recipe ideas. Um, But we will be updating you um, over various episodes about that. And we had some, I suppose you'd call him a technical chap, wouldn't you, Trish? (laughs) Tom, Mike, I can't remember his name. Anyway, he uh, he recorded it all for us. So we've got lots of things that we'll be sharing over the next few weeks from the show. It's really, really useful advice as well. Yes. And we had some really great questions from the audience. Wasn't that brilliant? They were so clued up, informed mm. and asked really intelligent, smart questions, which were really helpful for other women there. Yes. And we're actually going to be kicking off with the one and only Ruby Wax in this episode. We had so much fun and laughs during our interview with her backstage beforehand as well didn't we um we did. and she's shorter than us i know we, we look like giants next to little ruby it's tiny mm. it was like a series of russian dolls throughout the day wasn't it of all of us in all our <laughs> getting smaller and smaller uh, no ruby was absolutely amazing and she was wearing pink it was like she got the telepathic message yes. as well She joined us to talk about her new book, I'm Not As Well As I Thought, which is a remarkable account um, of the last year of her life in which she ended up in a major depressive episode and she was admitted to a mental health clinic. She weaves in lots of key moments and there's so much learning and she actually read a bit from the book Mm. um, as well. And we had some really fantastic questions from the audience. We did. And guess what? We've got a copy of the book to give away on the Facebook (laughs) group. Yes. So if you would like a copy of I'm Not As Well As I Thought I Was, uh, pop on over to the Facebook group after you've listened to this lovely interview with Ruby. Let's roll. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I know. Oh, wow. We've got a bit of a problem with the pink. It's okay. Stay, stay away, and then you won't get confused yeah. as to who's who. Okay. But, Ruby, we're so delighted to have you here. And when we talked to you 15 months ago, I mean, I cannot believe the year that you have had. You have... I mean, you've been everywhere all over the world. You've made a documentary adventure with a Spice Girl. You've been on silent retreats. You fell in love with a turkey, didn't you? <laughs> I did, and and a hermit crab. (laughs) I've had affairs with Um, the animal world. But you 
were writing a book, that was the primary focus of yeah. the last year, of your experiences, but it didn't quite go how you thought it was going to go your year. Yeah. Do you want to maybe start off telling us what happened in that All roller right. coaster 15 months? When I pitched my book idea to Penguin, I said, I'd like to go on rem- <laughs> remarkable journeys and you would pay for it. <laughs> And the idea was, you know, a lot of us, especially after the lockdown, thought, well, we know now that money and success doesn't bring happiness. So what else is there? You know, it's not anything we really investigate. If you're privileged enough to have something. But aside from working, people want to know, is there, you know, meaning or depth or peace or whatever? So I thought, I'll go on the hunt for it. So I went on a 30-day silent retreat. I swam with whales that were migrating. I... um tried to get people out of Afghanistan while I was there. I lived in a Christian monastery. They were things for me. I know that isn't your thing, but at least I was looking, and it was remarkable. But then, and unbeknownst to me, it wasn't on the schedule. I got my depression after 12 years of staying clean. But the main thing is, is that these things don't cause depression. It can come up when you win an Oscar. It's at random. So after all these journeys to find something, and I did find it, This thing was, it was like there was rot under the floorboards. I suddenly found myself in a mental institution. So it's two books. One is written on the inner journey, and then I'm thinking back on the outer journey. So I'm going two ways. And it starts with you having treatment in a mental home, doesn't it? Yeah, but that that happened after all the journeys. It's just that I go back and forth as to time, you know, because I'm thinking back on the journeys. And what was amazing is if I just let them permeate into me, it was remarkable. You can't do those things and nothing happens. But they were quite extreme things, one after the other, one after the other. Well, that was my, that's my sickness is that, uh, but it doesn't cause depression. It just burns you out because it's a different baby. You know, one is an illness and one is getting fried. So I, I put all these experiences one after the other a week apart. That's how ambitious I am. But also, Penguin gave me a deadline. <laughs> so uh, it's not my fault. Um, <laughs> but in the book, the book is really funny um, as well. So you go through, through extreme despair and all the treatment that you go through. But you also uplift us with all the funny things. But you also talk about your childhood, which, you know, a lot of it made me laugh. But it's really, really painful. Is it difficult to write about that? Well, I, mean, I wasn't aware that my childhood was as bad as it was because... Just to go back, I was in the Royal Shakespeare Company, and a lot of my friends say there's two mysteries in their life. One is uh, who shot Kennedy, and the other one is how did I get in the Royal Shakespeare Company? (laughs) So it's not your imagination. And I was a crap actress, too, (laughs) but I'm good at bullshitting. So I got in there, and Alan Rickman was my mentor, and we lived in the same house, and he took me under his wing and directed every show I did until he died. I would always come back from Chicago and go straight to his house, and I would do a show for him about what my parents said. And he'd laugh, and to make Alan Rickman laugh is no small achievement. So I made it funnier and funnier. And also, when I was growing up, I was really unpopular, and I was not a good-looking person. Tusks. Had those tusks. (laughs) And uh, when I was 16, I turned from an ugly duckling into Joan Rivers, and I got all the boys... They were gay, but um, (laughs) didn't matter. They were on the football team, and they were good-looking. So I learned to switch on comedy. And my parents are, on one level, hilarious. You don't have to edit any lines. They are Viennese, and they say things like, 
run, run with the hyenas, my mother, and say, you know, go and cut my heart out, you're a mother murderer. <laughs> and obsessive things, like once she gets on fixes, like she came to our... Stratford once and said, do you have a broom? And I said, no, ma, I don't have a broom. She said, get, get a broom. It went on for 10 days. Did you get a broom? Where's the broom? When you get the broom? I, so she goes back to Chicago and she calls me two days later and says, did you get the broom? I said, it's on my list. I'll get the broom. And she says, your aunt died yesterday. I said, what did you just say? What did you say? Did you say my aunt died? She went, okay. Back the clock up 24 hours, she's not dead. Now, did you get the bulb? <laughs> yeah. So um, I made it funny, but then when I was in the institution, uh, the mental, what do you call it, clinic, they made me yeah. see a therapist, and she started to say, skip the comedy, what really happened, and then I find out something really horrific. And that sort of explains why I'm on these extreme journeys. And she says, you know, you're running for meaning geographically, but you have to look in first. And there was something that really awful happened to me when she stripped everything away. So it's yeah. a journey inward and a journey outward. And it sort of makes sense. And then there's a conclusion at the end about what should be going on at this age. And that's what I think that's what, Not you, physically, <laughs> what you would all find really brilliant about the book, because in the book, your shrink towards the end of your sessions gives you um, a short story to read called The Good Fairy. And what struck me, it's The Good Fairy telling you that your body is keeping all of this on store. She talks to you as a child, you keep it in your body all the way through your life, and then it comes out, which is a little bit what the depression was about, isn't it? It started, you started to explore all of that, because your parents were quite violent as well, didn't yeah. you? And your mum had o severe OCD. Well, more than you? OCD. Let's, yeah. OCD so, is lightweight. You know, it's, it, your body to... is storing all of that, your mind is storing all of that. And I know in midlife, we go through that kind of reappraisal, all of us as well, don't we? Well, see, the, the doctor at the clinic said, your meds don't seem to be working after 20 years. And he said, so I'd like you to do EMDR therapy. I'd never heard of it before. And it sounded a little woo-woo. But he said, I will change your medication when you do it with a therapist. And so I did it on Zoom. She was really um, middle-aged. I don't know what she was. And kind of cute in a zelly but in a Rennie Zellweger yes. kind of blow, mm. not so blowfishy. And, um, <laughs> and so she superimposed somehow this ball going back and forth, which you're supposed to do, that connects a part of your brain that's frozen from the trauma to a, another bit that's more rational. So the idea is at the end, you can think about what happened. He said, trauma freezes you in time. And I said, look, sweetheart, I don't have trauma. Oprah has trauma people. You know, yeah. that's an Oprah word. And I wasn't in a war. I said, I come from depression, you know, a long line of demented relatives. So he said, no, you have to take it. And she does sort of take me down. Yeah. And it is for trauma. Sure enough, what I thought was so funny about my parents turns out to be quite terrifying. Well, I but found when it you're quite an, traumatic when you're an, reading it. <laughs> when you're an only child, you assume that's the normal. I thought everybody was locked in their house. Even Rickman's wife said, Later on, how come when Alan visited you, you never went out with him at night? Because we both had the same friends. And then I realized I wasn't allowed out. I mean, my parents were so protective. I was locked in. I never went out on a date because mm. men really scared me. My dad made sure of that. But when I was 18, I found out that you can get out my window. And I started <laughs> going wild. And they would punish me really badly. He was violent, yeah. but I still kept going. I think if I had brothers and sisters, they wouldn't have made it. And my mother was 
hysterical the whole time, just hysterical. And um, but he was the beater, so they worked as a team. Now you go, oh well, they meant well, and I find out throughout the book they did mean well, but damage breeds damage. And the fear, um, you know, they brought the war from Europe to our kitchen. They left Europe, yeah. and I went to Europe to escape them. It's just escapees moving back and forth. I wrote it because I was so curious. What's what's at the bottom of this? And then I thought, oh my God, this has been published. I was, you know, <laughs> I I thought, you know, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. What what's wrong? What you know? What lurks underneath? And. We were locked in, and my, my dog and I would sit in the picture window. We had a big window looking at the park and always wanting to be in that American dream where daddy made hamburgers and mommy made coleslaw and kids were playing baseball. And we just both, I don't know what he was wanted, maybe dog action, yeah. but we just sit there. And that's the image I have my childhood always wanting. And that's why I work so much to find community because I couldn't reach that dream. And so she figures it out. And so I jump the normal. You know, I don't like being at home, things that make people calm. I have the opposite of agoraphobia. My house represents terror. So that's why I travel like that. I still travel, but at least I know I'm running towards something rather than away. And you weave in moments, highlights from your career, a lot of um, really interesting things. The things that we will know about you, we will all have been fans from the 90s and the work that you did on television, yeah. writing shows like Absolutely Fabulous, your interviews. And so it's, it's hard to imagine the, the story behind the scenes, but obviously you, you outline it so beautifully in the book. But you say in the book that the Ruby we saw on those TV series in the 90s wasn't real, that that wasn't the real Ruby, well, that you were the bending we're all yourself fakes. for other people. Yeah, but we're all, we yeah. all need a mask yeah. because, you know, if you were real, it would be shocking, you know, to tell your inner secrets. When you're on TV, you can't really have the energy you do when you're talking to your friend in a restaurant, the TV camera sucks your energy. So I can't say I was artificial, everybody in television. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that sometimes that mask sticks and then you go to a dinner party and you find yourself just not shutting up mm -hmm. and your face is frozen in that kind of, I was interested in what fame did to people. That was my interest, you know, like a Rubik's cube, figuring out, do they like this? Is it fearful? How does it fit? And then you catch the disease of fame and people start running with lovely cups of tea because you're unable to make them <laughs> and, you know, and getting cars because you can't. Then fame goes away and you're going, where's my tea? <laughs> and, you, you know, I went to the tube station saying, where's your ticket? And I said, do you know who I am? And he went, fuck off. <laughs> Just get in the back of the queue. Get your Easter card. <laughs> Come on, who, who are you? And then you wean yourself off like you would a drug. Mm. And you're much healthier. But when you're in your 20s, imagine the high. And I was very unpopular as a kid. And I was, you know, in the creepy group. And, th and then you were in bed with Goldie Horn and Madonna. And, <laughs> and, they, and I got them in the address book. Not Madonna, she hated me, but... Um, <laughs> That's because you went through her handbag, isn't it? It's a comedy show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, you know, in those days, that's what it was booked as. So she was really dull. So I had to do something. So luckily she had underpants in her bag and I put it on my head and she didn't like that. <laughs> you have to bump it up. But then I'd have really great interviews that I loved with Imelda Marcos mm -hmm. and with O.J. Simpson. And those are the kind of shows I would have liked to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I did a horrible thing. I turned 50. 
And suddenly I was, I was banished from tell. They only let 50-year-olds play corpses yeah. <laughs> or people with diseases. So I, I suddenly was removed. And in, I might be the lucky one because then I reinvented and got into Oxford and got some dignity. Because yeah. you have to have dignity when you're older, otherwise you're clutching onto your past. <laughs> yeah. So you talk a lot in the book, and you've talked, you talked to us about it actually when you came on the podcast, about meaning, finding meaning in life, particularly through your midlife as you changed what you were doing. And there's a really beautiful point towards the end of the book where you um, come across Falling Upwards by Richard Rohr, oh, yeah. which is really oh, lovely. He's a Franciscan priest. He's kind of a philosopher. Can you tell us what you discovered when you found that and how it affected you? Oh, in the end, in the, in the, ret- in the retreat, I was in a silent retreat. I confuse it with a mental institution, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> though it wasn't dissimilar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the library, in the institution, there was a book by Richard Rohr. I never heard of him. And by the way, you have to be pretty healthy to walk into the library because usually you're under your duvet <laughs> watching reruns of Friends and not understanding the plots. So that was a real advanced step. So I got the book and it was magnificent. I can't say it as well as he does. He has a very good podcast with Brené Brown as well, which I recommend people. We have two tasks in our lives. The first half, we establish an identity, a home, relationships, friends, community, and security. This first half of life task is no more than finding the starting gate. We all need some successes and positive feedback early in life, or we'll spend the rest of our lives demanding it or bemoaning its lack from others. There is a good and needed narcissism. You first have to have an ego structure to then let it go and move beyond it. Then it goes on. Rohr wrote that the second half of life is where you can get a wider perspective of life. He calls that a larger container and says we experience this larger container as our identification moves from I and expands to we or us. This larger container can hold anxiety, stress, rage, pain, boredom, whatever is coming, without us having to react to them. War said we're capable of so much more than our previously narrow view of who we are, that our container is so much wider than this identity as an I. And I just thought, wow, move on, Ruby. At a certain age, somebody said, you either turn into wine or vinegar. (laughs) So um, Roar really directed (laughs) in the right direction. So that was a bit of an epiphany for you, wasn't it, towards... A lot of things, you know, the the spirit... Spirit Rock, where, yeah, you know, you, do, retreat, you, yeah. you go from, um, you know, people go, are you insane to, to do that? Well, because you're not having massages. You meditate from 5.30 to 10 o'clock at night with 45-minute breaks. And uh, in the beginning, the voices get really loud, the ones that say, you're a loser. No, but, you know, the whole thing, I'm not good enough, that we all have. Thanks to, you know, social media and the culture we live in, it's not our fault. Mm-hmm. How can you be good enough when you're competing with the world? They've taken your phone away, and I kept reaching for phantom phones. And you can't talk, and there's no distraction. So they get louder and louder. And then at one point, it's like arm wrestling. The critical mind goes down, and you start to like yourself. Mm -hmm. And there's moments where you can, because there's no nagging thoughts, you can taste the food, and it's delicious, because you don't have to turn to anyone or feel you have to ask people what they do for a living, like you give a shit. Yeah. But you can just <laughs> taste the raisins, and you can taste the... Everything gets poignant. You know, you can watch an ant moving up and down a tree, because there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you're perfect. It's perfect. And I was... This is a joke. Can you swear on this show? Yeah. Yes. I was yes. going to call Eckhart Tolle. Right potty mouth, so it's a- <laughs> Keep her in. <laughs> I was going to call Eckhart and say, Eckhart, I'm, I'm present. I'm in the now. 
it's Ruby. <laughs> Ruby Wax. Oh, fuck you, Eckhart. Because, <laughs> you know, you do, get, you do get that moment of, not all the time, but you do get yeah. <gasps> suddenly, you know, your body's a onesie of um, happiness. Yeah. 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 Just for a second. And if you grab it, it goes away. And you nature to, really yeah. helps with that, though. Sorry, yeah, nature tur- helps. I love the turkey. You love the turkey, and then there well, was there's the whales, nothing to do. and then there was the turtle in Castaway. Uh, turtle in Castaway. I make you, friends with these yeah. people. Um, turkeys, <laughs> don't ever eat a turkey, because I love these things. <laughs> Everywhere I'd go. You know, there was one in the grounds of the retreat, these turkeys that Lots came of down. turkeys roaming yeah, around. Well, they're all you can talk to. Yeah. And on Castaway, it's all I could talk to was... Spartacus. Spartacus was a hermit crab. Oh, yeah. And you realize, again, you have all these epiphanies, is that it doesn't matter if it's a hermit crab or a human being. You get everybody wrong. Like, there was a woman I couldn't stand, and when we started speaking, she worked for the UN for women's rights. I thought she was sort of, like, really slow. (laughs) And so... it might as well be you a hermit crab. You made that crab. in your head, didn't you? You, you make created up a character One guy I thought was really into me. I said, did you ever notice I was there? He said, no, but I heard snoring. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and, you know, it's like you're a casting director for reality. So it might as well be a hermit crab. You think you have a relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry to be negative, but <laughs> we really do look at people as to who they remind us of rather than who they really are. And, yeah. and at the, towards the end of the book, you say that you're not living in fear anymore of what's coming because I have a terrible death, death mass, mass obsession yep. um, but at the end you say you're not really fearful now of what's coming and what life is going to be well you go back to your default so mm-hmm. it's not like suddenly I'm hugging my parents and going I'm so sorry mommy or I'm going to just live at home and do some gardening and potter around that's my least favorite word potter, potter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. meaning slash your wrist if I was <laughs> living at home <laughs> but I do travel you know I'll still travel but I won't be, you know, won't be motivated by, uh, oh, my God, I have to find something new. Part of it is I realize my addiction. And, you know, knowledge is power. So um, I, I kind of will be able to distinguish, like I usually can, when depression is coming. Mm-hmm. I can hear it early. This time I missed mm-hmm. it. Um, and there's things you can do. Yeah. It won't go away because it's a disease. But it won't be depressed about depression. I think... Things have settled down a little more. Do you feel calm inside now? This is me calm. Mm-hmm. You it's should good. see the it's other a good one. Level. I like no, it. I'm. F- people go. Are you still depressed? And you go. No, you're flatlined. You're, <laughs> you know, you're human like everybody else. Whereas when you have depression, you're not a person. People ask you to sign things when you're in the clinic, and you think, I don't even have a hand. How would I know what to do oh. with it? There's nobody at home. Right. You know, you look out and you see people outside and they're going places and they have appointments and you think, this is unimaginable. Everything's gone. That's why it's depressing. Mm-hmm. Not because you're sad because your cat died. How do your family deal with it? Because you have lovely Ed and three children. How have they yeah. been? Well, I married him. It was him a shock for them. On purpose. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> A, he had length. And B, when we were getting married, when we went down the aisle, I told him, A, how old I really was. <laughs> And then B, that I had mental illness. Because he comes from a military family, generations who bloody loved the trenches, marvelous. <laughs> Having tea um, as the bombs dropped, marvelous. <laughs> so they, I knew he was hard, core, and he could deal with it, and he can deal with it. He can look in my eyes and say, it's coming. That's mm. coming, because you can see in the eyes depression. It's a glassy, kind of dead look, and if you spot that in your kids... 
and it stays, get them to a doctor. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look like puberty or sad. So he can spot it. I was so away traveling, so he didn't notice it. Yeah. And then my kids have learned, oh, mommy's gone. And then they come to the clinic, and I introduce them to other people when I'm getting better, and they go, these are the coolest, most interesting. <laughs> so we're a club that's very interesting. And, and your daughters, um, Marina and Maddie, they, they do comedy. They're called the siblings. The siblings, And they yeah. do But it's not... My kind. It's more French and Saundery kind. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you must be quite, I mean, the whole thing about living up to your mother and what she's achieved and what she's done. Do you guys talk about comedy. that? Well, they hate my comedy. They think do. I'm an embarrassment <laughs> and I'm not allowed to see their shows because I know nothing. <laughs> nothing. But they haven't got the fire because I ran away from home because it was horrific. Mm. And my dad kept saying, oh, you're a sad sack. Who's going to marry you? Your behinds is Big as a house, you know, but just kept going. And they lined me up with a linen job in linens. And they wanted me to be disabled mentally. So they'd take care of me and I'd stay home. And that became my biggest fear, Mm -hmm. that they'd lock me in. And they did lock me in. And so I do everything. I mean, I develop comedy to get out of there. So we're going to take some questions from the audience. Oh. But before we do, just tell us what you're going to be doing. Like, you're going on tour. I'm now, going on tour you? in and September you're... all over the place yeah. with a show called I'm Not As Well As I Thought I Was. But it isn't, I'm not reading the book. It's a theater show. Yeah. And then I go to Soho in November and then hopefully into the West End. But we'll see. We don't know. Mm-hmm. I might be with Wales again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, they would love anyone me, the like to ask? Young Ruby, some questions. Hello, hi. Um, you say you've obviously been in therapy a lot over the years, but you talk about la- uh, last year uh, when you were in your uh, you were in a mental clinic you referred to, almost like it was the first time and a bit more of a eureka moment. How much, you know, how different was last year, whatever happened to you last year, to all the years before? Why, is, why has that changed you so much or given you more clarity of the way forward? I never had EMDR before, and also they use something called repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's the latest thing on the block. It looks like a hair dryer, but it goes on your head. It's not ECT. It's not the electric that has little side effects like you can't remember your planet of origin. (laughs) This one uses, but it's the same idea. It's 18 times a second, 53 times. And after they make you do 20 consecutive things, and it has a 65% success rate for a depressive episode. Now, everybody else in the hospital didn't get well, but I did. It doesn't go overnight, but after about 19, you start, I got my sense of humor back. So you could say it's a miracle, but it's all over America. It's called transcranial stimulation. I've heard of it for a long time. And so that's why I got over it quickly. In the past, I never did therapy. And in the past, I just had my medication changed. But when I'm better, I do mindfulness too, so I can hear when it's coming. And as I say, this time I missed it. But I can't beat myself over the head. Maybe it was my time of the year. Great. So that was different. Somebody over here? Hi, Ruby. Hi. Uh, You said at the beginning that your experience, some of the experiences when you're having your adventures, they can't help but, you know, affect you or penetrate you. Was there, is there a theme? Is there something that you thought, Every time I do this, you know, this affects me in this way or this happens. Yeah. Well, getting some people out of Afghanistan, the greatest thing you can do is when you, you know, even if you buy somebody some coffee, you get this hormone called oxytocin, which is what mothers have when they have babies. 
So you are fueled with that stuff, you know, because it's in your fingertips because you're you're out of your selfishness. And even if you think you've gone there selfishly to feel good, they don't care because at least you showed up. And so things happen to me that are weird. You know, I don't just go to Greece. I get caught in these. Of course, when I went swimming with whales, I went to a refugee camp, but somebody handed me or they didn't know who I was at all. But I'm one of the only volunteers. They don't allow volunteers anymore in refugee camps because they'll report what they're seeing. But a woman who's a fixer, and I I called her and she said I could be her assistant. She said, just go talk to everybody because I'm a daughter of a refugee, so we connect. And one guy wrote me a text after I left. And the irony, I was in Peter Jones feeling which pillows had a more (laughs) swishy effect. Like, was it goose? Was it duck? And I get a text saying, the Taliban set his uncle on fire with oil and said, you're next. His family's next. So he said, can I help? So now I'm on a kind of, why would I know about that stuff? But there was something pushing me because if somebody didn't get my parents out, you'd be looking at an empty sofa. So Mm -hmm. I thought, I've got to continue this. And then you see in the book what happens. Mm -hmm. It's, again, bizarre things happen to me. Mm. Bizarre things happened on the whale thing. Mm. Most people would just get in the water and swim with the whale. Of course everybody on the ship is a healer. Yeah. (laughs) But one of the healers said something really fascinating to you, didn't she? She said that the women of your family, back through the generations, had told her, because she was a spiritual healer, that they were doing the best they could, that they were... Doing the best they could, and they're really sorry that I, um, I come from a long line of illness. Now, how did she know that generation after generation going back, we've all been in institutions? Mm. So that kind of motivated me into the refugee thing. They said, forgive Mama, she said, because she was German. And I thought, well, I'm not going to f- forgive her, but maybe I'll do payback. I'll, I'll yeah. get somebody else out. Do we have any more questions for Ruby? Oh. Yeah. They do quite a few. Hi, Ruby. Hi. My question to you is, given these larger-than-life people you've interviewed over the years, and you've said that you were really trying to get underneath sort of how fame had affected them, when you look at today with the celebrities and people that we have today, is there anyone that you look at and you think, I'd really like to get underneath and find out sort oh, of... Oh, good question. What they're, ..what they're about... Now you have PR watching, so you get the uh, 10 minutes of what they've planned out. I don't want to be a sounding board, so if you got Prince Harry or whatever, you just get the spiel that they've rehearsed. Mm -hmm. And I think back when I did it, if a star liked you, you could have them for a week. You know, that's why I spoke so much, because if you make them laugh, they go, wait a minute, they tell their PR to go away. And we end up with Bette Midler singing down escalators in Harvey Nichols, or with Goldie, I've known her all these years, because they were more in control than their PR. Now the PR is more in control. And there's a difference between stars, or whatever you people with talent, who I'm in awe of, and celebrity and they just went on an island and ate a cockroach. So I, I'm not that interested. I know what that fame is. It's just pure hunger. I'm interested in when somebody really has that talent. Then mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, how do you do that? I kind of think I know what celebrity would sound like, mm-hmm. but not, you know, the great stars. Johnny Depp's a great star. 
you know, all of those guys. Beyonce, we were talking Beyonce. about. Beyonce. But on yes. the other hand, her PR would be sitting on her yeah. lap, and she'd just go, I really like my job. I enjoy this, and I don't want that. If I spend a week with her, that would be a good interview. I think one more. We actually have, we have time for one we've more got question. five minutes and 27. I think there's lady in the second row here. Hi, thanks so much. Um, I'm really interested in the intergenerational part of it and having some of your experiences in, in some parts I, I do relate to and I have my own teenage daughters and when I've had periods of depression and anxiety I've been very open with them and I was from a very young age when they were a very young age and I remember at the time it was slightly frowned upon and I think intergenerationally like my mother's experience was never really shared with me and I wonder how you feel about that and the openness with you and your daughters about illness about depression about the things you experience and how you kind of change that narrative from how perhaps our parents didn't yeah. inform us of what's happened in our histories to how we then you know change that narrative for our own daughters well my parents didn't know they were mentally ill they just assumed they were right and that's how you pass it because as a kid you think it's my fault they're so crazy that's how you pass depression, if they've got the genes for it. The kid can't believe that the person who's giving them their sustenance could have mental illness, so they imbue it. I know I have an illness, so I tell the kids, you know, I really have the real thing. They've seen it up close. I said, you might get it because it'll show up by the end of the teens. Now they're in their 20s. They could get traumatized, but depression shows up in the late teens. And my son, you know, showed a little bit, but we got a medication quickly. And if you can stop it before three episodes, you've stopped, you've stopped it. But if three go on, so get him to a doctor. I could see the, that blur in his eyes. So I'm sort of articulate with my kids, not when they were really small, but up in their middle teens. Then Ed explained, it's nothing personal. <laughs> it's nothing to do with you, but I have an illness. Mm -hmm. So they get scared, but they know mommy will come back, and they can see when I'm back. I mean, depression is episodic. It's not lifelong. I mean, it's lifelong, but it could be 12 years before you get it again. Mm. So just be articulate. I'm going to say it again. We've got time for one more question. Hi. For people who are hesitant to take that first step to admit they struggle with it. Maybe they're on medication. They're not willing to tell others. You know, thankfully, you know, you have people surrounding you and you're even because you're famous, you have, you're able to be vocal and people accept you for it. What about, what advice would you give to someone who has not yet been brave enough to reveal to those who love them and are close to them that they struggle with this? Just to correct you, when I first realized I had it, I had to keep my mouth shut because I would have been fired. And then I sort of did get fired because I was at, you could see my actions were peculiar. So uh, it's fame doesn't now, maybe it's okay, but not back then. If you really are suffering, I'd be surprised unless you're an agoraphobic or you live alone that somebody hasn't recognized it. Uh, that's a little peculiar because as I said, when somebody really, really has depression, they can't move. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to even contemplate going to take a shower. But if you have somebody close, just tell one person and say, watch me. Because when you have mental illness, you can't tell because your brain is gone down. So there's nothing, there's no spare brain to go, oh, I see. So I had to have a friend say, you know, I said, do I look crazy to you? And she said, yes. So w just one person, mm. you know, and if you can't find the one person, come on Frazzle Cafe, we'll tell you. It's my Zoom thing that I do every two weeks. 
I'm not, I'm being facetious, but at least you can talk and talking is half the cure. And a lot of those people say, I love the anonymity. I don't want to tell my family because it'll be a burden. So if you go on, sometimes there are small groups of 12 all day long and I do it. It's free every two weeks at 5.30, you go on franzlecafe.org or call something like Mind or Samaritans or something to say, I'm scared. Just get somebody that holds your hand. And if it's a family member, they add love. So that's even greater. Mm-hmm. And if a friend says, I don't believe in depression, drop them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, it- it's been so amazing having you thank here you. with us, Ruby. Thank you. And you're going to be signing your book. My book. This there. wonderful book. Honestly, it's a great read, really it's helpful, brilliant. very insightful read. And obviously, they can go on Frazzle Cafe and watch out for your tour and in my September. Tour. Yes. The tour in September. So many things to remember. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> but I'll you. remind you out there. Oh, thank you so thank much, you. Ruby. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. Oh, I love listening to that. There's nothing like a live audience, is there, Ooh. with a kind of live interview where we couldn't do anything wrong and say, stop it, we've got to record that again. <laughs> We're like proper professionals. So, so enjoyable. And it was just fantastic seeing all their little faces looking at you and me that dreadful picture of Margot on stage, which you insisted on bringing. Yes, I had you, a frame Putting on the desk. Of Letterman hasn't got a picture of his cat on his desk, for God's no, sake. But, but Margot is Margot, and the people love Margot. She got a lot of attention. They did love her, didn't they? Well, I think they wanted her there in real life, but I know that would have caused an altercation. So uh, we didn't We didn't go there. We, we didn't, didn't go bring there. Margot. Anyway, no. let's do our favourite bit of the show. We've come to the end of our first... It's our second live recording, isn't it, of the podcast? Because yes. we did Kate Garraway right at the beginning um, at a festival. We have reached Nostalgia Noodle. Um, can it be an events-based one, Trish? Well, I think so. Oh, are you asking my permission? To, yeah, uh, um, yeah. Well, you're in charge, not me. Almost probably 30 years to the day, what? I did one of my first jobs in journalism where I had to go to the NEC in Birmingham, which is like the Business Design Centre, um, it's massive. And I had to go there for three days. Um, it was a golf exhibition. And oh, well, you are write... famously a huge <laughs> golf fan. <laughs> to write or contribute to a daily newspaper that we were pro- promote, producing for this golf exhibition. Could you believe that? 30 years ago, Lorraine, that's quite nostalgic. So what would that be? 1993. Go on. I'm going to top one. it with a Birmingham oh. NEC nostalgia go on, go noodle, Birmingham. Um, yeah. journalism 30 years ago. When I was on the Wimbledon News when I was 18, I was yeah. at the weekends I was working on Bazaar, the Sun Showbiz column. Oh, yeah. They used to send people off to do reviews and then they would use them if they could or not. So they just sent mm. freelancers off. So they sent me to Birmingham yes. to review UB40. Oh, 
<laughs> and I thought they'll never use that. But something happened. I think what happened was UB40 announced they weren't going to be touring ever again. So it was actually yes. quite an important thing to be yeah. at. And they'd sent this junior reporter off oh. to cover it. And I had to go all the way up, drive all the way up, see them, write the review, phone in the review because yes, there was phone no in the review, technology. no internet, no, no technology. technology, and then drive all the way back on my own. Oh, that's so exciting. We, we were circling the NEC at the same time, <laughs> weren't we? We were. UB40 and golf. There's a combination. Well, that brings us to the end of this special episode, a roundup of postcards from Midlife Live. Um, we'd like to say a huge thank you to everybody who helped the event happen, all the brands that supported us. And of course, most of all, you lovely ladies for coming and uh, making it such a special couple of days for us. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.